So what we want to do for the next few weeks together is consider these words of Jesus from the cross. So we're, we're titling this the excruciating words, because as you know, and I'm not telling you something you don't know, most likely, this word excruciating that we use all the time. Like if you ever said, maybe you got out of a meeting <laughs> with your boss and man, it was rough. How'd the meeting go? It was excruciating. He was so mean to me. He was telling me so many, all the things I did wrong. It was terrible. It was excruciating. So if we use it that way, maybe it's not with the teeth, with the bite that it should have. Because this word excruciating has come to mean torture. Boy, that was rough. It was excruciating. But it means torture. It comes from excruciating. is from the Latin term out of the cross. The cross, the worst method of torture that humans could design. The most painful, the most humiliating, the worst time that a human can endure. Excruciating. It's out of the cross. And so from the cross, we want to look at some of these things that Jesus said. We're going to consider here the way that Jesus went through some things from the cross. He endured some things that really and truly, it approaches what we can only say is, you know, the unimaginable, what I could never dream of, what you would never want to dream of, what you and I would never want to be a part of. Jesus went through the physical kind of pain that no human being should ever have to face. Let's just, let's just quickly, in, the, in a matter of about two minutes, let's just quickly run through some of the things that Jesus went through in the last week. John 19.1, He endured lashings this is a whipping a flogging that really history tells us that with the the floggings that preceded crucifixions lots of people didn't even survive that they died in the flogging before they even went to the cross he was beaten with fists john 19 3. he was beaten with sticks mark 15 19. and all of this the the lashings the beatings the sticks all of this was before he even went to the cross and then on the cross was pain so terrible that it's the ultimate in torture. Then there's the emotional pain, the spiritual pain. You know, the, the emotional things like this, being spit on. That's, that's a, an affront that nobody should have to go through. Being mocked, being taunted, most likely for long periods of time, if not even on the cross, being naked. Humiliation in every kind of way imaginable. But then there's the bearing the weight of sin. As it says in Matthew 26, 30, 26, 36 to 44, remember when Jesus was in the, the garden, he was weighed down by the prospect of going through this time and bearing the weight of sin. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 21, there's this, this portion in the middle of that verse that says, He, that is the Father, made him, that is the Son, to be sin. The Father made the one who was sinless to bear the weight of sin for us. It says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him. Jesus went through all types of things 
that just should hurt our very soul to consider. But what Jesus offers us as a result of what he endured, because when we think about what he went through, we think about that. I don't even want to think about it. It goes beyond what I'm able to really uh, justify, what I'm able to really understand. Well, so is what he accomplished. What Jesus offers us as a result of his pain also approaches the unimaginable. Because if you return to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I want you to look at these passages here. Because it says in 2 Corinthians 5.19 that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Because of what Jesus went through, because of these experiences on the cross, we have the hope of forgiveness. Then 2 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We're offered a gift that we don't deserve. We're often offered something that goes beyond our ability to properly conceive. He went through this pain. He went through this torture so that we could be forgiven. Now, I know we've, we've studied the words from the cross numerous times, but I think this is a good time to hear them again. This is a good time to be reminded of their depth and their power. Because notice, you remember just recently as we were studying you know, the, the end of all things, we were studying the end of time, studying Judgment Day. And did you notice there a couple of different times we made reference to some of the things that Jesus said from the cross? Because even there we see the important things that he said here, the few things that are recorded, changed human history and changed the way we understand ourselves and changed the way we understand the Christ. So what do we learn about Jesus? What do we learn about ourselves from those brief but special words that he uttered from the depths of pain? What do the excruciating words of Jesus teach us? Well, today we're going to look at, at two of the sayings. They're both recorded there in Luke 23 that Asa read for us just a moment ago. The first one is, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. The second uh, phrase, the second statement is, today you'll be with me in paradise. So we're going to think through these two things that come from this event that Luke records for us and think about what that means to stand before this Jesus who said these things. So let's think first about Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Look back at Luke 23 with me. We see there that the stage is this. He's between two criminals, it says. Two others were criminals and led away to death. When they came to the place called the skull. They crucified him and the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And as he hangs there, and really the image that I have in my mind, I've said this out loud before, I'm going to say it again. The image here is, is sort of a collective image that is telling us about all the things going on at this scene. That as they bring him to this place, from the few things that we know from archaeology, the things we know about history, it seems like this was probably what had happened. There was probably three post holes dug there on the top of that hill in a really high traffic area right where all the people are going to pass by right there where so many people can pass by and shake their fists wag their heads share their taunts and they can hear it all and so they get to this place that's been prepared the most likely like i said there's probably three post holes because there's this big beam laying there 
Remember, Jesus has already had to carry the crossbeam with him, had to enlist the help of Simon to get it all the way there. And so they get him here to this place, fasten him to the different pieces of wood, driving nails through his upper hand to secure it between the bones there and make sure he didn't slip off, driving nails through his feet, and then bringing that cross up and setting it down in that hole so it stayed there and all could see and taunt and laugh and say, come on down if you're that great. The image I have is this one who all through it, all through it, as the nails are being driven in, forgive them, forgive them. As, there, as he's being lifted up, hanging there in pain, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And what these words reflect, these words reflect the heart of Jesus. If you ever wanted to see the heart of Jesus, this is the place. Remember, he had told everybody in John 12, you know what's going to draw everybody to me? It's when I'm lifted up off the earth. That's going to draw all men to me. Because of this. Because of the way that he would die. Because of the heart that would be displayed here. That even as he's being taunted and beaten and just tortured to the nth degree, his heart was, Father, forgive them. 2 Peter 3.9 Not wishing that any... Let that word any sink in. This is the guy from the cross that said, Father, forgive them, because not wishing that any would perish, but that all should come to repentance. What did Jesus want for the people in the crowd? For them to repent. What do you want for that people in the crowd? What do you want for the Roman soldiers that, that nailed him to the cross? What do you want for those people that screamed out, we want him crucified? He wanted them to repent. He wanted them to have life. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, our Savior desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, his words revealed this heart that was deeply and desperately loving all people. His place on the cross demonstrated that his words weren't hollow. He acted out and he lived out what was in his heart. Because for you and me, it might be real easy. We can say things to people all the time. Boy, I hope something good happens. You know, bless your heart, be warmed and filled, and then just move right on with our lives, never having done one thing to help you. Jesus said things like, I want all people to repent, as it were. That was the heart of the Lord. And then he went to the cross. He demonstrated, he acted out, he lived out the heart that he claimed to have. And so he's offering, showing his heart here, and I want you to think about this with me for a moment. When he says, I desire for them to be forgiven, have you really stopped to think about who all that encompasses? Specifically, who does that mean? Who does it mean he wants to be forgiven? If you look with me, go back to Matthew 27. Let's just take a second here. Go to Matthew 27. We could look at several different places, but I want you to see it from, from Matthew's perspective. Matthew 27, verse 26. Matthew 27, 26, it says the people had screamed out in verse 25, his blood be on us and our children. So Pilate released for them Barabbas. Having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. You drop down to verse 35. When they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among them by casting lots. So to whom was he offering 
forgiveness? To whom did Jesus desire that they would come to know him and be forgiven? The people who whipped him? The people who were playing games right in front of him to take his clothes? The people who spit on him? What about this? Go back to Luke. At the end of Luke 22, about verse 59. Luke twenty-two fifty-nine. 59. Remember this about Peter. After an interval of about an hour, another insisted saying, certainly this man was among them, for he too is a Galilean. And so for the third time, Peter's going to say, I do not know what you're talking about. I don't know Jesus. In fact, if I know this guy, if I'm in any kind of way associated with this guy, may lightning strike me right here. He calls down all the curses of heaven. I don't know him. It says, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. You ever had a friend betray you? Ever have somebody that you felt like, of all the people in the world, this is the one who should stand with me? But they have taunted me and mocked me and left me. They've wounded me and hurt me more than anyone else could hurt me. You ever had somebody that you loved hurt you? Did you jump right up and say, I want good things for you? Did you jump right up and say, I sure hope we get reconciled soon? Jesus did. The very one who called down curses and said he didn't know him. That's the same one Jesus died for. He said, Father, forgive him because he doesn't know what he's doing. The people who crucified him, the ones who drove the nails into his hands and his feet. Can you imagine the love that that takes to desire forgiveness for those people? But add to that long list. And that's just a, a small sampling of the people we could have included. But you need to put this on the list. You and me. I'm on that list. Just like Peter, just like the Roman soldiers, just like the Jews who had screamed out that they wanted his blood on their heads and the heads of their children, he offers forgiveness to me as well. And he offers forgiveness to you as well. When he says, Father, forgive them, he's talking about you too. He wants us to be forgiven. Because here are some of the implications. These words, when he says, Father, forgive them, maybe this goes without saying, maybe this is too obvious to even say, but I'm going to say it anyway. When Jesus says, Father, forgive them, what he's saying is, you people have sin and you need to be forgiven. But they didn't recognize it, right? Forgive them even though they don't know. The cross tells us we're sinners. The cross is the message to the world that we have sinned and we need a Savior. We need to be forgiven. Something Terrible has happened. Sin has entered the world. And specifically, I'm guilty. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short. That means I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so something must be done, but I can't do it. Something must be done, but you can't do it. We need a Savior. And here's Jesus letting us all know that He's the way. Father, forgive them. They don't recognize that this is it, that I'm it. He'll say in John 14, 6, I'm the way, truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. 
for you and me right here this morning, let's remind ourselves of this. If you recognize that you're a sinner and you recognize that you can't save yourself, then here's the answer. Jesus Christ is the answer. What he calls on you to do, Romans 10, 9 and 10, is confess that he is the Lord. He's the only one that can save you. He desires for you to repent of your sins and be washed in his blood, Acts 2.38. Raised in the power of the resurrection, Romans 6, to then living with him, walking in the light, 1 John 1.7. And that blood of his will continue to cleanse. You see, he needs us to recognize that. He needs us to know that we're sinners who need to be forgiven. But there's also this. When Jesus said these words from the cross, these excruciating words, Father, forgive them. Jesus not only was saying that you're sinners and I am the Savior, he was also saying this. This is the way to be. This is the heart to have. This is the mouth to have. This is the way to be. Is his desire your desire? Can you think of those that have spit on you, those that have mocked you, those that have betrayed you, and your heart still really, really, really says, Father, forgive them. My desire is that even they be saved. And my desire is that I be able to do something that helps them be saved. Because do you want your enemies to be forgiven? Do you really pray for them? Matthew 5, 44. Do you really find yourself in a position where you say, I'm so thankful for what Jesus did. And in fact, I'm going to seek to be like Jesus in my life. In Ephesians 4.32, the Bible says, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. Forgive each other because Christ went to the cross and said, I forgive you. I seek your forgiveness. I desire your forgiveness. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That brings us to the second statement that I want us to consider here from Luke 23. In Luke 23, we have Jesus speaking to the thief, one of the, one of the criminals, one of the criminals. One of the criminals, it says in verse 39, this is Luke 23, 39. One of the criminals who was hanged there railed at Jesus and said, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other one rebuked him saying, don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Remember, he just, remember this guy just said people need forgiveness. Don't you recognize that means you too? We indeed justly. We're hanging on this cross because we broke the law. We're hanging on this cross because we have justifiably been condemned. We're receiving the due reward of our deeds. We're supposed to be here. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. And so he turns his attention away from the other criminal and turns his attention to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now let's think through this for a moment. Many things that we could say, but let's just consider a few things. Let us not say something so foolish as, I want to be saved like the thief on the cross. Because what does that even mean? Do we want to knowingly and selfishly live until the last possible moment and then make a profession of faith and be saved? Is that what we think? Do we want to ask Jesus for some divine favor and say, well, because of that, I don't need to do anything else. 
Maybe this trumps even things like immersion in water. Mark 2.10 made it plain. Jesus had the authority on the earth to forgive sins. Jesus could look at someone and say, your sins are forgiven. But also, according to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 9.15-17, something changed upon the death of Christ. The old covenant was done away with, and the new covenant was brought into effect. Jesus had not yet died when he said these things to this man. The new covenant was made, wasn't made effective yet. That happens after his death. And so since he has died on the cross and been risen from the grave, we now live under a new time, a new era. We call it the New Testament, the new covenant. And in this time of the new covenant, we pl plainly see, as we've already discussed, the plan of salvation. And that's the plan we must follow to be forgiven and cleansed and reconciled and healed by God. Washed in the blood's lamb, the, the lamb of the blood of the lamb washed in that blood that's what god calls us to but these words also reveal the power of god's grace i want you to recognize this with me ignorance is no excuse he said father forgive them they don't know what they're doing they don't recognize who i am but they still stand condemned and need forgiveness ignorance is not an excuse he says they don't know what they're doing, but that doesn't mean since they don't know, they don't have to worry about obedience, right? They still had to come to know the truth and obey the truth. So what he's saying is, Jesus is saying from the cross, what they don't realize is if they don't change, they're lost. They didn't realize who Jesus was yet. But you flip over in your Bibles from the end of the Gospels, go over to about Acts chapter 2. And we'll see in those places that change occurs. Acts 2, 36 and 37. He says in Acts 2, 36, you crucified Jesus. You crucified the Savior. And so in Acts 2, 37, they say, what do we need to do? We realize now, what, we, what do we need to do? We realize we're sinners. Realize he's the Savior. What? Repent, be baptized, be forgiven, give him the gift of the Holy Ghost. No excuses. Romans 1.20, Romans 2.1, Matthew 22, verse 12. Remember, the, Jesus tells about that banquet that was held and that man stands there, doesn't have the wedding clothes on. And Matthew 22.12, the master says, how'd you get in here with no, without the wedding garment? Remember what the guy's response was? Stood there speechless, it says, because he didn't have an excuse and he was thrown out. The evidence is too clear. The opportunities are too great. There's no excuses, not even ignorance. So when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He didn't say, Father, let them go scot-free. He says, my desire for them is that they be forgiven, but they stand condemned. Because here's the deal. Forgiveness is offered, but it's not forced. Let me say that again. Forgiveness is offered, but it's not forced. The Lord will not forgive us against our will. In Matthew chapter 20 at verse 28, the Bible says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. But Jesus Christ won't serve us against our will. As an example, let's think quickly about John 13. You can either turn to John 13 or just in your mind's eye remember, John 13 is where Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. You remember there in about John 13 verses 8 and 9, Jesus gets to Peter 
Remember, Jesus is dressed like a servant. Here he comes with the bowl and the towel, and he's washing feet. He gets to Peter, and Peter says, whoa, you're not washing my feet. I'm the servant. You're the master. You're not washing my feet. He was refusing service and could have just stayed that way. But Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you don't have any association with me. If I don't wash you, you're not part of my group. I don't wash you, you're not saved. And so Peter said, not my feet only. Wash me. He could have refused the service, and for a moment he did. Jesus won't serve us or forgive us against our will. Jesus offered, but he could be refused. And so what he's showing us here in these statements is that he's offering us hope. He's offering us forgiveness. He's offering us the opportunity to come be washed and cleansed by him. But he won't force us. Because what he's looking for is a change. He makes an offer. And the offer can be refused. But he's looking for a change in us. And this is what I mean. This, this criminal, the two men on each side. If you read in Matthew 27... Matthew 27, verses 39 to 44, especially Matthew 27, 44, it makes it plain. Both criminals were taunting Jesus. So when this ordeal started, when they're first being dropped into their holes, hanging there on the cross, suspended between heaven and earth, both criminals are taunting Jesus. Both of them are saying horrible things to him. But in the course of time, evidently in the course at some point in about six hours here, one criminal has a change of heart. He goes from being one who's railing at Christ, taunting him like everyone else, to having this change of saying, you're innocent, I'm guilty, please remember me. That's just like these other people in Luke 23, 21. When in Luke 23, 21, we see people that are begging for Jesus to be executed. But in Acts 2, 36 and 37, we see people begging for Jesus to save them. They changed. The Lord is calling on us to change. Our, our sin may be great, but the good news is His grace is greater. These two men were criminals. They had done wrong and they deserved punishment. And yet one of them was going to receive a great blessing in spite of it all. In spite of his history, in spite of his rap sheet, this one was going to be in paradise with the Lord. And so for you and me, we're guilty. We're guilty of sin. We stand condemned. And yet in spite of it all, we're offered grace and mercy. You know John 3, 16. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. But then 17 continues like this. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. See, John 3, 16-18 says this, Jesus offers hope and forgiveness to all. Father, forgive them. But what he demands is a change. He won't serve us if we refuse to be served. He won't save us if we refuse to repent. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. And that revealed his heart. He wants us to be saved. May we be just like him. When Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise, he revealed his heart as well as his power to forgive. Let us be thankful for his amazing grace. Our sin is great, but his grace is greater. 
Because Jesus loves us and has a desire to forgive us, just like this criminal, we can be assured that our obedience to Jesus means paradise awaits us too. So how will you respond to these excruciating words? How will you respond to these words from the cross? Because Jesus calls you. He calls you to come and be with Him, to be washed in His blood and to come be with Him in paradise. If you have a need that needs to be known, make it known while we stand and sing. I was thinking deep in sin.